The reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 14, uh, reading verses 8 to 21. So uh, let us hear the word of the Lord and hear it in faith and with thanksgiving. From Acts chapter 14. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Not unlike the, uh, the ancient world, uh, which we are reading about in the book of Acts, but uh, our, uh, uh, our own culture is uh, profoundly uh, idolatrous. It's not to say that you can go somewhere and buy an idol of some Greek god or Roman god or whatever the case may be, but, but you hear reference to the pantheon of gods uh, all the time in our culture. Um, on, on occasion, I've, uh, I've heard people on the news make reference to the weather gods. Well, there aren't any weather gods. There's a god that you and I worship who controls the weather. He summons it when he wills, and he sets in motion natural law. There's not some weather god out there. Uh, my favorite, uh, I'm sure I'll hear uh, fairly soon in terms of uh, basketball playoffs, is a reference to the basketball gods. Well, there are no basketball gods. There's no football gods or wrestling gods or swimming gods. There's the god who creates uh, and gives people desire to be good athletes and who equips them to be good athletes. 
They just simply don't want to acknowledge that. They want to reference football gods. Uh, my favorite is, uh, one of my favorite stories about this uh, is uh, uh, Pete Maravich. He was a profoundly gifted uh, basketball player. He was uh, not only profoundly gifted, but he does what gifted people have to do to take it uh, to the appropriate level to play the level he did, uh, namely practiced all the time, uh, dribbled a basketball everywhere. Uh, but he had a penchant for trusting in his socks. Uh, he never washed his socks. Uh, I've tried that. It doesn't work in my home. So. <laughs> uh, and I can't imagine having this sense that you're, you're trusting unwashed socks. But that's, the <laughs> that's just the silliness of human idolatry, relying on socks. Now... Maravich subsequently became a Christian. I don't know if you know that. He trusted in Jesus Christ. I trust him. Of course, I think at that point in time he had left basketball because of his age. But it's a reminder to us uh, that we are in a profoundly idolatrous culture. And, and an idol is anything you rely on. I don't care what it is. A rabbit's foot. Husband, wife, government. Whatever the case might be. Uh, some of those institutions and elements sometimes play a part in our lives, uh, but we don't rely upon them, especially to get us to heaven. Because reliance on something other than God is, is of course, idolatry. And that is what we uh, are engaging this morning in Acts chapter 14, because in the accelerating outreach to Gentiles, uh, Luke gives us a polemic or an argument against idolatry. And he also gives to us what is important for the life of the church. Namely, we respond to idolatry by witnessing to it. Uh, we, we should have the courage, uh, as the Spirit leads, to speak to idolaters about the object of true hope and, of course, the Savior. Uh, and in our case this morning, a miracle exposes the failure of idols and the apostolic rejection of idolatry uh, causes a, a violent backlash by the idolaters. Uh, and that story is repeated uh, all the time in the world in which we live. There's always going to be a backlash. And in our case, we, we should always respond as the Spirit leads, uh, time, the grace of God and His sovereignty and providence with, with divine witness to the idolater. Well, in verses 8 to 10, uh, idols uh, uh, fail a particular man. In this case, uh, in verse 8, he's a, a lame man. Uh, and the idols fail him, uh, but the gospel does not. So it's going to be a radical change in his life by the gospel, not the idols. So we are uh, in a town called Lystra, which is south of Iconium. And Paul encounters this man. Uh, his condition is, uh, is quite bleak. Uh, he has no strength in his feet. Uh, literally, the Greek text is he has no power or ability. And those words are reminders to us, of course, of the spiritual condition of all men. We have no power or ability to come to Jesus Christ. 
He gives us that power by His Spirit. He enables us uh, by His divine power as uh, the new Creator. Because we have no power or ability. Uh, this man was uh, lame from birth, so it's a congenital defect. Uh, and he's never walked. Uh, and that is, uh, in stark contrast, given the idols of this region. How is it that he's in this dire condition if there are idols who can save? And that's the point. Uh, this man is left untouched because the idols have no ability or power. Uh, their temple is uh, nearby. So, I mean, he's very close to the priests. He's very close to the uh, gathering of the worshipers of the idols. Uh, and uh, they worshiped in this particular reason, uh, region, pardon me, Hermes or Mercury. And what's, what's illustrative of Mercury? Remember the old Mercury dime? Well, perhaps you don't. But, uh, Mercury had winged feet. You think if anyone could heal this lame man, it was the God who had winged feet. But he, he's, the point is, there is no Mercury. Uh, there are no gods that have winged feet. Uh, let's look at an illustration of this in Isaiah chapter 46. Because, of course, uh, idolatry was a peculiar uh, grave sin of the nation of Israel. That's why they were taken into captivity. Uh, and uh, that sin uh, persists in the nation of Israel today, and it persists in our culture today. Uh, but there's a remarkable uh, reminder uh, uh, in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 46, I'm going to read uh, verses 6 and 7. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. They bow down, indeed they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may try to cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. This is a very unique uh, assault on their sensibilities because um, God has previously told them in this uh, passage that He has carried them because they need to be carried. But God does not need to be carried. If He needed to be carried, He wouldn't be God. And anytime you see people carrying uh, different gods, it's a stark reminder that they are simply engaging in idol worship because our God doesn't need to be carried. Again, if He needed to be carried, He wouldn't be God. But in, in the case of uh, Mercury, uh, our apostolic messengers and their message is not constrained. Uh, they're not bound by the condition of this man. And they certainly do not represent a false god. They represent the true god. And so, uh, Paul says to the man in verse 10, uh, stand, stand up. It's a, it's a command. Uh, Think of how 
uh, insensitive and mean that would be uh, if, uh, if Paul did not represent the one true God. Uh, so he commands him to stand up, and he did, and he began walking. Uh, so, he's, uh, so he's healed. He leapt up and began to walk. Uh, this, is a, this is a parallel to the healing of the lame man in uh, Acts chapter 3, validating the Apostle Paul as a genuine messenger of the only genuine God. Uh, and there's only one, the God that we worship. A reference to this uh, parallel uh, in the life of our Savior, uh, John sends some men to Jesus and say, are you he? Matthew chapter 11, verse uh, 5, and Jesus said, go, go tell him, go tell John what's happening. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And Jesus, of course, is, uh, is God. He's telling uh, John indirectly that God has come in Jesus Christ. A powerful reminder of the blessings of the Gospel. Uh, implicitly, Jesus is the sole power to heal and reverse the curse and arrest its power and give new life and a new creation. I mean, these events are harbingers they're snapshots, if you will, of what eternity will be like for us. There'll be no lame in eternity, no death. Uh, grand promise of the gospel. Uh, there are many broken things in our world because of the fall of Adam. And uh, they will continue until Christ comes to eradicate the fall and vacate it in the midst of His people. And all will be healed. Imagine that day, the beauty of it, the majesty of it. But even if you are someone who has a broken life, as all of us do because of sin, but sometimes the brokenness is physical, what a profound hope. That we shall not be as we are now because of Jesus Christ. So, reminder of the majesty of the Son of God who can reverse the curse. Only Mercury cannot reverse the curse. All the gods of Rome, of Greece, uh, all the false religions of today are simply idols that need to be carried, that cannot answer when they're prayed to. Jesus does not need to be carried, and he answers uh, in his grace and his divine actions. Uh, idols uh, must be rejected as illustrated by the apostles in verses 11 to 18. So the uh, crowd uh, sees what's happened and <laughs> what do they do? Well, they attribute it to their idols. Uh, let's look at the latter part of, of uh, verse 11. The gods have become like men and have come down to us. This is a very implicit uh, irony for us as Christians. Uh, because the truth of the God's coming down is in Jesus Christ, the Incarnation. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, though He existed in the form of God because He was God, He set aside the divine attributes of His majesty and came down uh, to, uh, to earth to effect redemption. 
There is no other incarnation but Jesus Christ. There was a, a legend in this region that the gods had previously visited them, uh, which of course uh, is a, a copycat of Genesis 19 when the angels went to Sodom uh, to rescue Lot. One of the reasons we reject idolatry is because they are mere crummy copies of the one true God. That's all they are. They, they attempt to copy the majesty of God in profoundly ugly ways by building a gold statue or a silver statue. But that profanes God because it masks His beauty and His majesty. Uh, you can't turn the majesty of God into a inanimate object without making him ugly. But that's all. That's the best the world can do. That's the best that they have. Uh, you and I uh, know otherwise. Uh, but that's the origin of false religion. It's simply a copycat. Uh, and they're bad substitutes for the real thing. If you're a Christian, you have the original. If you're not a Christian, you can pursue the original in Jesus Christ who gave his life a ransom, the one for the many. But the world steals it and uh, corrupts it. In the case of this particular region, they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes uh, after the pantheon of the Greek gods. Uh, Zeus, as uh, perhaps you don't know, but uh, he was the king of Mount Olympus. Uh, Jesus is the king of Mount Zion. Uh, Mount Zion today is in heaven. He rules over everything. And there is no Zeus. Uh, there is Jesus Christ, the eternal God-man. Uh, and He rules as sovereign. Again, Zeus is impotent. If he was so mighty and strong, why didn't He heal this lame man? Why didn't Mercury come and give Him winged feet? Because... They have no power and they're impotent and they're fakes, copies of the real thing. Uh, Hermes was the, uh, was the son of uh, Zeus, known as the messenger of the god and the god of fertility, but they failed their son. They failed this lame man. The gospel does not. It's a reminder to you the gospel will not fail you. Um, either in time or eternity. In eternity, uh, all uh, idols and idolaters uh, will uh, suffer everlasting ruin and you and I will come to everlasting gain. And all of the brokenness about our lives and bodies will be healed and fixed. It begins in time in the gospel, coming to Christ, but it has a marvelous end uh, like anything uh, that idolaters could ever know or dream of. Uh, but this, uh, this false uh, legend of uh, God's uh, coming to men, Zeus and Humres, takes hold. And, and so in verse 13, the priests hear, hear about the rumor, and so they, they come to make sacrifice. Uh, verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds, to Paul and Barnabas. 
Again, a good reminder that our sacrifice in Jesus Christ is offered one time for all time where he cleanses his people from their sin by one divine eternal act. That, by the way, uh, is the reason uh, we don't have a service called the Mass where we sacrifice Christ every Sunday because it profanes his one-time sacrifice of himself. How can humans repeat what is not repeatable? But they do. Just the way of man. Uh, we think we can add or uh, burnish the work of Christ by repeating his work when it's non-repeatable. One offering for all time. That's all it took because of his divine perfection. He doesn't need to be repeated. To do so is, I think, to profane his work. And the key here in terms of Paul and Barnabas is how they respond. And how do they respond? They reject the accolades. Uh, they reject the accolades. I, I suspect there was an implied temptation here. Uh, you know, sometimes you and I fall prey to that. Pride takes hold and we begin to think we're pretty smart and uh, uh, deserve divine accolades and we deserve none of them. What we deserve is contempt. What we get from God is His sovereign grace. He blesses us. Uh, so the messengers in Paul and Barnabas reject the accolades in the industry. Why? Because idolatry is forbidden Christians. Not just in the Old Testament, but in the New, forbidden. And their response is, is essential. So again, we have the apostolic company uh, engaging in a profound miracle. Uh, they encounter idolatry and they reject it, and then they respond uh, by sharing the gospel. That's how we're to respond to idolatry, share the gospel. You encounter an idolater Think of a verse or think of uh, something that perhaps you could say or ask God to give you an opening because that's what Paul and Barnabas do. Uh, if, you look at, uh, if you look at verse 15, uh, they respond, uh, we preach the gospel to you in order that you should turn from these things. Uh, the phrase preaching the gospel is found 15 times in Acts. Why is that? Because that's uh, our calling in the life of the church to preach the gospel. And that's what we do. Preach the gospel. Just as a reminder from the book of Acts, one text, Acts 11.20, uh, there were some of them men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. They turned contextually uh, from uh, idols by the hand of God to the living God. But what were they doing? Preaching the gospel. That's what you and I should do. Uh, praying that God would give us wisdom, timing, uh, the right verses, perhaps testimony, preaching the gospel. By application, of course, uh, idolatry attempts to intimidate us, 
from sharing the gospel. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are not going to be intimidated. They preach the gospel. Secondly, there's the content of the gospel in the purpose clause. So again, verse 15, uh, we preach the gospel. Notice the purpose clause. In order that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. So they're telling the idolaters to turn. Essence encapsulating the actions of repentance and the gospel itself. A beautiful text referencing this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And that's how we, so you and I came to faith. We had our own idols, whatever they were, and God gave us new hearts and we turned from our idols to the living and true God. And the gospel is the turning point from and to. Uh, the word that's used here in, in verse 15, uh, vain things, you turn from these vain things, is a reference to idolatry. Now what is vanity? Well, vanity is emptiness. It's worthlessness. It's what does not work. Idols do not work. In the Greek translation, the Old Testament, uh, vain things is used of idols. Uh, let's, let's look at a couple of texts. If you want to turn back to the prophet Isaiah chapter 2. So, early on in uh, the prophet Isaiah, we're reminded that the nation of Israel is going to be judged because of their idolatry. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 20, In that day men will cast away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship. In order to go to the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty, when He arises to make the earth tremble. And the context of this is an indictment of idolaters who throw their idols away because they're unable to save them on the day of the Lord. And so they go to hide. They throw their idols away and they go to hide, but they can't be saved. It's too late. That's why you should throw your idols away today before the day of the Lord comes. Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm going to read three, three verses in second chapter of the prophet Jeremiah. The first, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, what injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? In other words, uh, they uh, gathered to themselves idols. Verse 11, has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. They changed the glory of the one true everlasting God to the tarnished Glory of an idol that will fade away and be worthless and empty on the day of judgment. Verse 13. 
For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The point is, is that idols are worthless. They promise, but they cannot deliver. There's the appearance of water, but there's a leak, and all the water has vacated from the vessel. But Jesus Christ is the living waters. Gospel of John, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Beautiful reminder of gospel. Uh, Paul then repairs to the theology of creation as he describes God in verse 15. He made heaven and earth and the sea that all that's in them. So God is the creator. He's resorting to the great theology of who God is. He's the creator. He created us. And therefore, He's a providential God. He can sustain His creation. I'm always reminded of this in, in our culture. You know, we're always going to run out of something. We're going to run out of... I remember in the 70s, Christians were writing about books and oil in the Middle East and how we were going to run out of oil. What's happened in the last 15 or 20 years? We're awash in the stuff. We're going to run out of food. Our population's going to increase and we'll all run out of food. We'll be starving to death. Teachers terrorizing their young students on the estate of polar bears. My friend, we're not going to run out of anything until God turns the switch off. You know why? Because He's the Creator and therefore He can sustain His creation. But that's, that's the estate of the world today. Full of idols. You and I should be full of the one true God. So quote, this quote of God is a quote from Exodus 20.11. Uh, the context is keeping Sabbath and creation. Uh, why should we worship God uh, on Sunday? Because He's the Creator. Because He sustains us and keeps us and preserves us. Spiritually in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Creator of the new creation. It's a theological use of the Old Testament and God's providence is over against idols who don't work, who leak, who tarnish, who will fall over. I was amazed at this watching some food program. I, I like food programs. I'm just amazed at what the cooks can do and make. And some guy was making a plate of food to go out and put before an idol somewhere in Asia. I thought, man, if she'd give that to me. I mean, you think that idol's going to eat that plate of food? No. I mean, the birds ate it. I mean, what a mocking element of idolatry that the birds come and eat the food. I mean, what, what the idol wasn't hungry? No, idols don't eat. Yeah. And they don't create food either. Our God does. To sustain us and to keep us. Implicitly, he's telling the Gentiles who reject, of course, special revelation that... Uh, that uh, God has, uh, has made this evident to them, stamped it on their souls. It's a universal knowledge. Even upon the non-Christian, He stamped it upon their souls. Made by God. Men suppress it, but Paul appeals to it as a rejection of idolatry and an affirmation of what they intuitively know. They won't admit it because they suppress it, but it's true nonetheless. Uh, this is also an illusion the theology of creation is an allusion to Psalm 146.6. Uh, you want to turn to, uh, turn to the Psalter. Uh, we can simply read, again, my, I, I believe that 
Paul is alluding, uh, or perhaps quoting Exodus 20.11, but also alluding to Psalm 146.6, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever. The majesty of our God. He's a faithful God. You know, when you get down, as we all get down, I get down all the time, you know, get discouraged, whatever. You just have to read a verse like this, be reminded, God keeps faith forever. He's a faithful God. Faithfulness and God go together. He's not an idol. The context is a summons to praise God as the Creator because only He can provide for His creatures. Uh, men cannot. Why, why cannot men, men do this? Look at verse 3 of Psalm 146. Do not trust in princes and mortal man in whom there is no salvation. So all of the priests of false religion that people flee to and go and fill their temple and houses of worship, they're going to dead men who cannot save. You and I go to a living Savior who conquered the grave. Because they die, verse 4, His Spirit departs and returns to the earth. In the very day His thoughts perish. But God is forever and can raise up those who are bowed down. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 146. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The lame man in Acts 14 was bowed down and God raised him up as a harbinger of the majesty of the new creation. In verse 9, Psalm 146, He turns the wicked away. He thwarts the way of the wicked. This too is a theological use of the Old Testament affirming the reason to turn to the living God away from empty vessels who can do nothing to save. Idols cannot. God can and does. From creation, Paul repairs to providence. God gave you a witness in the natural world and rain and fruitful seasons. Acts 14.17 This is another Old Testament allusion to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 24. Pardon me. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 24. Uh, the context of, of uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 24 is uh, an indictment against idolatry. Uh, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 24. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain in its season both the autumn rain and the spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Uh, great, great reminder uh, that they had rejected the true God who does this to sustain His people. Uh, and uh, notice how that idolatry is transforming them. Isaiah, five, uh, pardon me, Jeremiah 5, verse 21, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes uh, but see not, who have ears but they hear not. It means in worshiping uh, idols that have ears that do not hear, eyes that do not see, they're becoming like the gods that they serve. That's a danger, profound danger of idolatry because it's a transformational event. As God transforms us in Jesus Christ, the idolater is transformed by his idols. That's why uh, you should throw them away and get rid of them. Because they're transformational. Let's look at this in a profound way from the Old Testament. 
uh, Isaiah chapter 41, uh, verse 7. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with a hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, uh, saying of the soldering, it is good, and he fastens it with nails that it should not totter. Uh, notice the word, he who smooths uh, the metal. Uh, Hosea chapter 10 verse 2, the prophet says of the nation of Israel, you have smooth hearts. The idols were smooth, the metalsmith made them so. But worshiping smooth idols, they, their hearts become smooth. What happens to people with smooth hearts? They become slippery and they slip away. Reminder of that uh, in Psalm 73, verse 18. Surely thou dost set them in slippery places, thou dost cast them down to destruction. And we think idolatry, I mean, it's kind of a harmless thing, isn't it? I mean, so what? Uh, we wear a St. Christopher medal. Uh, I mean, it's no big deal. It is a very big deal because you're relying upon something that does not work that ends up being transformational. And the point of the text is that Zeus and Hermes do not save. God does. Uh, Zeus and Hermes do not sustain the creation and send wind and rain. God does. It's an implicit appeal to fear God. Uh, the uncontestable evidence is a lame man. Just like the incontestable evidence of your testimony is that he saved you and made you different. And people can see that difference, the saving power of the gospel. So Paul rejects their idols and reminds, uh, and reminds them or restrains them from worshiping him because worship belongs to God alone. Uh, in verses 19 to 21, the apostolic witness is rejected, uh, leads to violence. Jews come and incite rejection, uh, they win the crowd, and Paul is stoned. Uh, great reminder of this in sharing the gospel as one of the themes of the book of Acts is that you're going to encounter opposition. And sometimes that opposition uh, may, may turn violent. Uh, it's exactly Paul's point in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11. He's speaking about his time here in Acts. Persecution, suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions and I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. We're going to encounter opposition. And God is with us and God will deliver us. We should never forget that. We are commanded to preach the gospel to idolaters and God will be with us and will deliver us. Paul is unconscious, but he recovers. Uh, I believe this is an illustration of the end-time tribulation. The stoning of the Apostle Paul begins at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You and I are smack dab in the middle of it, uh, surrounded by deception and false religion and idolatry. Uh, I remind you, in terms of Paul's sufferings, that the Greek word from, for witness is that for which we have our English word for martyr. 
Uh, well, Paul uh, eventually recovers. Perhaps he was knocked out, recovers, uh, gets up and uh, goes on. And what does he do? He, he continues to preach the gospel. Uh, Acts 14, verse 20, the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. People are going to mock your faith. Uh, they may turn violent. Uh, certainly different parts of the world, there's violence. Uh, God will be with us and rescue us. We must continue to, uh, to proclaim the gospel. The Apostle Paul was not intimidated because God is sovereign and idols are nothing, uh, and that God is able to save and rescue his people. I mean, I love the text, John 6, 39. He rescues all that are his. He loses none. You know that text, don't you? All that the Father has given to me, I lose none. You can never be lost. Incredible. I don't care how bad it gets. You can never be lost because of his saving power as the sovereign creator. So we should witness, expect rejection, and rely on God. Our, uh, our culture sadly relies on idols. I uh, went to the office store one day, was buying a ream of paper, and here was the cashier wearing a St. Christopher's medal. Well, St. Christopher doesn't save, God does. You drive by Prague, you can, uh, you can turn south and uh, go see the uh, infant Jesus and he will bless you. No, dolls don't bless. God blesses. Uh, I see advertisements all the time. You can call some 800 number in uh, California and speak to a psychic. Dollar a minute. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm sure they give you crummy advice that will be like a broken cistern that will leak everywhere. Uh, I was in the uh, city of Santa Fe with my wife some weeks ago, and we were picking up a meal because there was no eating in restaurants at that point in time. And uh, near the restaurant, there was, a, uh, there was a bulletin board. I always read bulletin boards because they tell you what's going on. If I go to into church, I go, I try if I can, go straight to the bulletin board because they'll tell me about all the dance lessons. I can take rumba and the cha-cha and the dance. And I said, what? I'm going to come here and learn about God. And I, I, can, I can learn the rumba with my wife in the backyard. I don't need to go to church to, do, uh, to learn the rumba. I don't get that, but that's just the way it is today. So anyway, there was a bulletin board and there was an advertisement, in this case it was by a woman. She was a Hear this. She was a death shepherd. If you have an incurable illness, uh, call me and I'll, I'll help you and I'll shepherd you into the next world. That's about as sad as it gets. Uh, the psalmist tells us of the wicked that death will be their shepherd. My friend, that is as sad as it gets. But this woman was masquerading as someone who could introduce you into the afterworld. Well, she'll do that for sure. But I remind you that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd 
who gives eternal life to his sons and daughters. So our idols are everywhere, and we reject them all. And I trust in God's grace, uh, we, we witness to idolaters, uh, and we tell the world, we rely on Jesus, the sovereign creator of the church, who gives life, who does not leak, who does not stumble, who needs no one to carry him. And he will carry us to eternity.